Welcome. We are glad to have you here, and uh, we're going to be taking a look at Perfect Lies through this series. We're starting today with the pursuit of happiness. You know, how is that accomplished in life anyway? We're glad to have you here. I pray that you will be blessed, and uh, those who are watching online, we're glad to have you as well, and pray that you also will be blessed. We're going to be doing this series from the wisdom literature of the Bible, called thus because they are scriptures that were written by the wisest man that ever lived. So says the scripture in the person of Solomon. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as well. Before we get into it, let's have a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the assembled heart prove acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We live in a, a culture of lies. In fact, if I were to ask you, how could you tell if a politician is lying, you would say, because his lips are moving. Yeah, that's true. You know, if they're talking, they're probably lying. You know, that's just where we've come. You know, we're skeptical about everything that we hear. How can you know what's true and what's not true? It reminds me of a story about uh, Jimmy Carter. Uh, you remember Jimmy Carter. He was surrounded by a lot of character players. You know, his brother Billy. You probably have a six-pack of Billy beer somewhere hid away as though that's going to, you know, pay for your retirement someday when you auction that on eBay. I don't know. You know, in other words, his mom, you know, Miss Lillian, she was a character in her own right. And uh, I kind of enjoyed her. You know, she was uh, given to an intentional life. You know, she was in the Peace Corps and she went overseas. She did some incredible things herself. No wonder her son aspired to be president of the United States. I remember on one occasion, you know, because uh, Jimmy... Uh, Carter was pushed as such a strong Christian. Uh, not every person in the world admires Christians, and some are skeptical and believe most Christians to be hypocrite. One reporter kind of pushed her a bit and said, now, you know Jimmy as only a mother can know Jimmy. Don't look at me and tell me that Jimmy's never lied to you. She says, honestly, Jimmy's not a liar. She says, as a mother only knows a son, Jimmy has never lied to you, not even a white lie. She says, well, maybe a white lie. She says, well, what's the difference between a white lie and a lie? And she goes, well, you know, a white lie, you're not intentionally trying to hurt anybody. You're not trying to be deceptive. You know, you're just trying to protect somebody's feelings. So give me an example of a white lie. She said, well, like when you came in the room and I said how nice you looked and how glad I was to see you. <laughs> We're going to be talking about lies. There's a scripture this says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. I don't know that I want either one of those. You know, I don't want to be wounded by the truth of a friend, and I don't want to be uh, smoothed by the lies of an enemy. A lot of people have reflected on this uh, culture that we live in that is replete with lie after lie after lie. One person said, the truth is always an insult or an offense. Lies are generally tastier. We love them. The nature of a lie is to please us, but truth has no concern for anybody's comfort. You know, truth hurts. Or how about this one? The truth is quite simple. They lie to us. We know they're lying to us. They know that we know that they're lying to us, but they keep lying to us 
and we keep pretending to believe what they say. We're beginning a new series called Perfect Lies. Today we're talking about the pursuit of happiness. Next week we're going to be talking about when the culture tells you it's all up to you. Is it all up to you? And after that, uh, you can't escape from your past. Your past will forever haunt you. Or how about no one will love you just for who you are. We're going to be unpacking uh, those truths based on the wisdom of Solomon. And Solomon was kind of an interesting guy. Put yourself in the place of Solomon, uh, who wrote the scriptures that we're going to be looking at, both Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. He actually didn't write them so much as he just spoke them. And people hung on his words and they wrote them down. And later a prophet collected all of the things people had written down that Solomon had said and put them into organized books for us so that his wisdom would be available for all generations. Solomon was not originally such an intelligent young guy. In fact, he was a, a bit intimidated by his lack of knowledge. That's what drove him to, uh, to be Solomon, actually. Because when his daddy died, his daddy was King David, the strongest, most powerful king in the entire world. David put Israel on the map. There was no one that Israel was afraid of with David as their king and as their commander. When he died, Solomon took over shop. And Solomon was so intimidated, so overwhelmed by the sense of responsibility. He was not the man his father was. How could he possibly be? And yet everybody had huge aspirations for him to lead in the way that they had been led. He was so intimidated by the task that he went and made offerings to God. And uh, many offerings. In fact, it says thousands of offerings. And he pleaded with God to go forward with him or he would be an absolute failure. Such humility. And God came to him that night in a dream. And he said, Solomon, I appreciate your offerings. And uh, I'm going to grant you whatever it is you desire. Just name it and you have it. So what would you ask for? I'm sorry the Powerball was won last week. I always check. Nobody in the congregation won. <laughs> out in New Jersey, Minnesota, unless you were vacationing out there. You know, but I don't think so. What would you ask for? Would you ask for Powerball? Would you ask for financial security? Would you ask for health? Would you ask for uh, influence? Would you ask for fame? You know, what would you ask for? Long life, health? I don't... What would you ask for? If you could have anything that would make your life pleasurable, what would you ask for? Solomon was given that privilege. And he said, God, make me wise because I am so not wise and these people are so complex and so many and I am just a child. And God was pleased by his request. And he said, because you did not ask for power over your enemy, because you did not ask for wealth or long life, I will give you those things as well. And no one will be as wise as you up until today nor after today. And so it is good that we would study from the words of Solomon, the pursuit of happiness. In a moment, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, and how Solomon pursued happiness. I don't know if you, have you heard that phrase before, pursuit of happiness? You know, maybe in a more contemporary way, you've heard it recently in a movie by that title. By the way, if you have a copy of that movie, I want to see it again. You know, I went through... Uh, all of the on-demand movies on my charter. Do you know how long it takes you to get to the P's? 
I mean, I don't know why they don't segment this list. You know, I had to, I'll bet it took 15 minutes to get down to the P's and it wasn't on there. Pursuit of Happiness. An interesting story. It's a true story about a man named Chris Gardner, played by Will Smith, and his son Christopher, who was five years old. And uh, this is played by also his actual son, uh, Jaden. An incredible movie. And it's spelled kind of strange, you know, Pursuit of Happiness with a Y. And the story behind that uh, is that uh, Chris Gardner, in the uh, telling of this true story about his life, was down and out. In fact, he was a single dad, his wife, and he had divorced. It was an embittered divorce, and she had remarried, and she kept putting uh, Chris Gardner down and, and making fun of him and making life miserable for him and always giving him bills that he needed to pay. He didn't have a means to pay. He, could, he was trying to sell some bone uh, density device, and he couldn't sell them. He was just miserable. And uh, by the way, Chris Gardner today, estimated value of his life is nearly $200 million dollars. And it's the story of how he came from rags to riches. But during this time in the 80s, for almost two years, he was homeless. And he used to pick up his son, Christopher, uh, from a child care center where his wife would drop him, you know, when he had time with him or days with him. And it was always kind of awkward because he didn't have any place to live. He lived in public buildings. They got cleaned up in public restrooms. And he had to kind of hide and teach his son to do that. And it was so embarrassing for him. But the title of the movie comes from uh, Graffiti, that was written on the wall of his son's childcare, Pursuit of Happiness, and it was spelled wrong. And he was teaching, as many of us do uh, when our kids are young, life lessons based on what they see, and, and he was teaching him to sound out words, and he sounded out Pursuit of Happiness. He goes, that's right. He goes, but it's misspelled. He said, uh, Pursuit of Happiness, happiness should be spelled with an I, not a Y. And uh, so that's the, the name of the film, which was also what he was doing in his life. And it's interesting, in, in the film, kind of a cute moment, uh, you be the judge, there was also the F words there. And, and his son, Christopher, uh, sounded that word out as well. And, and he said, did I say it right, Daddy? And he said, yeah, you said it right, but you should never say that word. He goes, well, what does it mean? He says, it's an adult word, you should never use it. It's just something people say when they get mad. You know, so that's the nature of the story. Or, or maybe you've heard the pursuit of happiness uh, with this picture. You know, Thomas Jefferson, the Declaration of Independence, you know. You know, all men are created equal and gifted by their creator with certain inalienable rights, meaning rights that no government should have to give you, no government can ever take away from you, things that God has given you and has given to all people, which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness. No one knows exactly why Thomas Jefferson put that phrase in the Declaration of Independence. He never wrote about it. But many believe it came out of the Declaration of Citizen Rights that was incorporated in the uh, state of Virginia, the colony of Virginia, uh, which he did copy from, uh, including some other documents in the day. But this phrase stuck with uh, Chris Gartner uh, so much so that uh, he later... Uh, spoke about that phrase both in his book and in the movie it was such a turning point for him he says it was right then that I started thinking about Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence and that part about our right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and I remember thinking how did he know to put the pursuit part in there that maybe happiness is something we can only pursue 
and maybe we can actually never have it, no matter what, how did he know to do that? Is that what you've begun to think? You know that we live in a nation that allows us to pursue that, but happiness is elusive, that it's not something that you can ever possess or that you could ever own. Chris Gartner believed that. In fact, in a poignant scene in the film, it comes out that this is his conviction about life when he's shooting buckets with his five-year-old boy. Now, if you've ever shot buckets with a five-year-old boy, uh, you know what a job it is for them even to get the ball to the bottom of the net, let alone up on the rim. And uh, his boy was enjoying dribbling. He could do that pretty well. And, and he yells to his dad. His dad's in a full suit and they're playing on a playground because that doesn't cost anything. And he says, I'm going to turn pro someday, dad. And his dad said, probably not. He said, you know, I played basketball a lot when I was your age, when I was a kid. He says, I was definitely below average. And uh, you will be too. That's the way these things work out. He said, uh, his son picked up the ball, and it shows it in the film, poignant moment. And he walks to the sideline, and, and he has what I would, you know, call your dauber down. You know, he's obviously thinking heavily about the powerful words that his parent, his main role model, male role model, just spoke into his life. You know, that you're probably not going to succeed in life. And he was thinking about that, and, and Chris Gardner realized the power of his words over his son. And after a pause, he said, hey, don't let anybody ever tell you you can't do something. Not even me. You got that? You got that? Son said, yeah, yeah, I, I got it. Not with a lot of conviction. And uh, Mr. Gardner went on to say to his boy, you got a dream, you got to protect it. People can't do something themselves, so they tell you you can't do it either. If you want something, go get it, period. A poignant moment for the boy, but probably more for the dad, because it was then that he determined he was going to go get something. He was going to make something better of his life, and it goes on to uh, reveal how he won an apprenticeship with Dean Witter in, uh, in the brokerage business. Uh, became quite successful himself. In our text, Solomon speaks about the pursuit of happiness. I want to read through the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 with you and then just come back and pick up on a couple of thoughts. Solomon said, I thought in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. I'm going to test my life with pleasure, man. You know, the thing about your strength is it's your weakness, right? I mean, think about Solomon's mind. You think you would love his mind to be so wise? Can you imagine everything he saw caused him to be curious? I mean, if he saw a spider, if he saw a bug, if he saw a leaf fall to the ground and how it twirled, he must have been curious about that. I mean, you talk about ADD to the max. I mean, it must have been hard for him to focus on anything because his mind was a whirl with all the things that he saw. And this scripture kind of tells us that. It says, he decided to test life through experience to find out what was good. But that also proved to be meaningless. So I tested laughter. And I said, is foolishness what causes pleasure? 
I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still with me, still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under the heaven during the few days they had in life. What is it that brings pleasure? You know, he was a student of life and he was exploring it through experience. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks. Planted all kinds of fruit-bearing trees. I made reservoirs to water the groves and flourish the trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born into my own house. And I owned more herds and more flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed precious metals, silver and gold, and all the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers, even a harem, the delights that enticed the heart of a man. And I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. And in fact, I was still able to be objective about this and determine, is this the answer? Is this the answer? Does this bring happiness? Does this bring contentment? Is this the key to life? I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in my work. And this was the reward of my labor, I guess, just doing the thing. Because when I surveyed all that my hands had done, when it was all done, and all that I had toiled to achieve, you know, in retrospect, it all seemed meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Let's take a look at Solomon's discovery about the pursuit of happiness. You know, in verse 1, he said, I said to myself, come now. Let me test life with pleasure so that I might find out what is good, that I might find out what is purposeful, what is meaningful, what is worth spending time declaring. You know, let me spare you the, the pain, the, the uh, money, and the aggravation. You could not begin to do as effectively as Solomon did the pursuit of happiness by the pursuit of things and by the pursuit of accomplishment or by the pursuit of pleasure. And at the end of it, he discovered these things alone, and I emphasize the word alone, these things alone, as though you make them the end and not the means to the end, these things alone will not bring you pleasure. They are not evil in and of themselves. But if you pursue them as if they were God, or if you pursue them without being guided by God's values and God's motives, or if you pursue them in the absence of God, they will be empty and shallow and strangely lacking, a mere shadow of what you hope to find. Verses 10 and 11 sum it up pretty well. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and that seemed to be the reward, you know, just doing it, you know, being involved in the activity. Yet when I surveyed it, when it was done, all that my hands had done, all that they had achieved, everything seemed meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. It's amazing the things that God has created to be a blessing in our life. We have an unlimited potential to turn blessing into bane, to turn what God intended to be something wonderful in our life to something that's a mere frustration. Let's take a look at uh, what is the truth of God's word then about 
the pursuit of happiness. How is it achieved if this is how it is not achieved? Let me just uh, unpack three truths from God's word about how, you know, happiness is accomplished. First of all, you know, God is the giver of happiness. He's the giver of purpose. In fact, there's a scripture that says, God is the giver of every perfect gift coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, no shifting shadow. In other words, God gives this freely and he gives it to everyone. This is an important truth. It doesn't, happiness, pleasure, fulfillment isn't reserved for people who have a certain wealth. And it isn't denied to those who are especially poor. It doesn't matter whether you're slave or free man. There are slaves who have greater happiness than their owners. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter whether you're old or whether you're young. He gives these perfect gifts without prejudice, with whom there is no variation, no shifting shadow, no predetermination. All of these things that Solomon found to be empty are truly intended to be blessings in our life when they are accompanied by God's value. Here's how uh, Paul, uh, another godly person, uh, spoke about it to a younger man who was uh, going to take over ministry after his own demise. It's interesting because it comes from Paul's letter to the to the young man Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now you have heard a passage from this uh, scripture even if you don't know the Bible. How many of you have heard the love of money is the root of all evil? It's, it's a negative thought, isn't it? You know, and, and that's what we remember from 1 Timothy 6. The love of money is the root of all evil. You know, don't love money. But in truth, this passage, it's, it's too bad it's been robbed of its purpose because it's intended to be a positive guide, not a negative guide. Here's how it starts. Godliness is actually a means of great gain. It's the key to life when accompanied by contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, we will certainly take nothing out. If you have food and clothing with these, be content. God is not against you desiring more. He's not against you pursuing pleasure. He's not against you enjoying the things that are sensual, whether it's for the eye to see or for the ear to hear or for the mouth to taste. You know, he created these things for you. If, if your attitude is godly and if it's accompanied by contentment, you have a beginning of the key to happiness. If you have food and clothing, with these be content. But whoever wants to get rich, and I don't care what it is you're pursuing, it, it may not be financial. It may be recognition. It may even be human love. It may be power and influence. Whatever it is. Whoever wants to get rich in whatever you want to get rich in, you are in danger of falling into temptation into many snares and foolish and harmful desires which will plunge you into ruin. For the love of things is the root of all sorts of evil. And by longing for those things, you know, the means to the end, not the end itself, you can pierce yourself with many a pang. But you flee from these things. Pursue righteousness. Pursue God's will for your life. Here's the key. Pursue God's will for your life. Pursue godliness. What would please God? Pursue faith. Exercising faith. And man, every aspect of life requires faith. Pursue love. Pursue, pursue perseverance and gentleness. And then he goes further on. I'm going to jump over some verses down to verses 11. Uh, 
through 19 because some of you who have already accomplished the things that you thought would bring you happiness are discovering uh, that they are an illusion. He has a word for you too. He says, instruct those who have accomplished their purpose not to be conceited. Don't think that you've accomplished this on your own. You know, God gave you the mind. God gave you the opportunity. God put you in the right relationship, caused you to be born at the right time. You know, don't be conceited about this and think that somehow you've accomplished that. Don't be conceited and don't fix your hope on things that are temporary, but rather on God who supplies all these things. He says, tell people like that who have achieved and who are still somewhat frustrated by their achievement to be rich in good deeds. You have been blessed to be a blessing. Man, if you don't understand that, if you think you've been blessed to hoard your blessings, you're sadly mistaken. You've been blessed to be a conduit for blessings to others, which is also the greatest way to bring blessing into your life. So tell them to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and ready to share your knowledge, your wisdom, your relationships, you know, your influence, whatever, your experience, which is the way that you store up for yourselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future, that you may have that which is life indeed. Wow, that's what we want. Life that's life indeed. So God is the creator of all good things. Secondly, godliness does not equal dullness. You know, this is, this is critical. You know, when I was a young boy already in grade school, uh, a pastor called myself and, and another uh, student in, and, and he urged us to consider ministry. I thought, you got to be kidding. You do not know me, you know. I would be a horrible pastor, and some of you would agree, you know. Uh, uh, but I, I, I just thought, I, I would never want to be a pastor because most pastors I know are scary, or they are weak, or they are bitter. I didn't aspire to any of those things. You know, I didn't want to be scary. I didn't want to be weak. I certainly didn't want to be bitter at the end of life, and I, I saw that in guys. I thought, I want to make a difference in things that matter. I want to influence people. You know, God has given me the ability to write words and to use words, and, and I, want to, I want to influence people with words and with ideas. And the more I, I thought about it, more I thought, well, the, the Bible's filled with people who weren't weak, who weren't bitter, you know, and who were making a difference in things that mattered. You know, I was looking at a poor imitation of what God wanted me to be. You know, be careful of that. You know, I, I love what Gandhi said. I've never forgot it. He said, you know, I love your Christ. I just don't care much for your Christians. You know, God doesn't ask you to be like somebody else. There is no perfect Christian. He has made you unique. Be who you are and follow him and his will in your life, which will be unique and will be exciting. It will be life that is life indeed. Godliness does not equal dullness. And my life has been anything but dull. I could use some boring, you know, to be truthful. Last. Purpose leads to pleasure, but pleasure is not your purpose. To have purpose will lead to pleasure in your life, but pleasure is not your purpose. It's not the end. It's the byproduct of your purpose. God is the key that makes all earthly blessings true blessings. He's the ingredient that makes the substance significant. You know, he, he's, 
He's like the accent wall in your otherwise neutrally painted house. He's the jalapeno in your queso, you know. He's the garlic, you know, and the oregano in your Italian sauce. You know, he's, he's the splash of color in your flower garden. You know, he's the thing that makes the things pop. You know, and, and if you have him and you have your values, then you will use those things that Solomon discovered and say, wow, these are incredible tools that I can use to accomplish his purpose, which also accomplishes my happiness. He's the cool breeze on your hot summer night. He's the birdie on your scorecard of bogeys. I just had to put that in there. <laughs> he's your red tire on your muted green shirt. You know, he, he's the stuff <laughs> that makes life awesome and exciting. What's interesting is Chris Gardner, uh, he, uh, you know, I, I, I told you I couldn't go back and watch this movie. It's six years old. I remember just vaguely. And, and so I, I went on YouTube and I was watching excerpts. Do you know how difficult it is to try to watch a movie on excerpts from YouTube? Did that come before? Did that come after? But there is a moment where, where he talks over the film and, and he kind of narrates, you know, this was foolishness. This was wisdom. This was chasing after the wind. This was life. And when he says this is life, he's talking about his son, the relationship that he has with his son. And I thought there's danger in that, Chris. I wonder how that turned out for him and Christopher, who is probably now a grown man. You know, he, he put his, his happiness on a temporary thing. I wonder if because of his wealth, his young son Christopher got involved with drugs because, you know, he could get anything and everything. I wonder if because of his wealth, he had fast cars. I wonder if he cracked them up and if he's laying, you know, wounded somewhere or maybe even dead. I've seen that happen in lives of people. You know, they, they think their family is everything and they lose their family and then their life is nothing. There's danger in putting your hope in anything that's temporary, even the most important earthly relationship. So for a while he said this is life, but it wasn't all that life is intended to be. I wonder if they're estranged now. You know, I wonder if they're just distant and his son didn't pursue the same kind of values that his dad did. And so there's a, a tension between them. That was life for the moment. But God is asking that you would embrace life that is life indeed. And a life that is true life. When it's all said and done, if you have... Uh, no relationship with God, ultimately your joy will be muted, you know, muted. It won't be all that God intends it to be. But if you know God, then you have the key to knowing joy. And it doesn't matter what your station in life, you know, love is not reserved for a certain group of people. You know, influence is not reserved for a certain group of people. There are people in the poorest villages, in the poorest nations of our country that have the greatest happiness in life it was always amusing to me that our kids from west county would go down to mexico uh, to build houses in mexico and they always thought they were going to go down there feeling sorry for those poor kids that didn't have anything and they came back envying those kids who had everything you know who, who made games out of cans that they hit with sticks you know they seemed to be happier than some of the kids who had things that got in the way of their happiness you know if your values are right there is no end to the possibility of happiness you know, yesterday we attended, uh, uh, this past week on Thursday, Friday, we attended uh, the, the leadership summit here in town. And uh, a year ago, it was a big disappointment. I, you know, a lot of us who attended it were just really frustrated by it, it, it didn't deliver what it promised. Uh, this year, it exceeded our expectations. Speaker after speaker were wise and poured wisdom out uh, in life. One of the speakers was Patrick Lencioni. 
And, and Patrick, uh, you might know him. He, he wrote the book Death by Meeting. If you haven't read it, it's probably appealing to you right now. Death by Meeting. And, and he also wrote The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Powerful book. He also wrote the book The Advantage. He's written a book uh, also called uh, The Three Most Miserable Aspects of a Job. You know, you could probably identify with that maybe. And, and he identified them. And as I listened to him, I thought, these aren't just job, this is life. These are three things that are the opposite of happiness, three things that bring misery into life. And, and uh, the first was to not be known, to not be known by those who are important in the organization. If you're not known by them, you know, you're one step uh, away from misery. Uh, secondly is to not understand the significance of your role in the organization. You know, like it doesn't seem like what I'm doing has any really important aspect to my business, so it creates misery. I don't see how this changes anything. And third is not to be able to measure, you know, whether you're contributing or not contributing. These are the three things that create misery. I think about that in life. You know, people who know God will not know misery because God knows you. The scripture says he knows the hair on your head. He knows everything about you. And guess what? Despite what he knows, the secret, darkest secrets about you, he still loves you. And he gave Jesus Christ to die for you. No one has ever loved you like he loves you. No one ever believed in you like he believes in you. No one has ever positioned you to do important things like he has positioned you to do important things. You know, I, I love uh, our staff that comes up with these sets for every series. I, I like this set because that's what we are supposed to be. We are to be a light into a darkened world. And that's what you are. You're out there living out the truth in a world of darkness and a world of lies. And you have a sphere of influence. Each and every one of you has a sphere of influence. Each and every one of you is important in the outcome of somebody else's eternity. Somebody else's willingness to trust in God and and maybe give Jesus some consideration in life by how you live. I don't have those relationships. I'm not in that place. I don't live in that neighborhood. I'm not in your family. But you are. You are significant. You are known. And you will see results. If you do God's work God's way, it will never lack God's results. His word is becometh it, the scripture says, did not return to him void. Every time you bring his truth to bear, it, it, it brings impact. Sometimes even the aggravation that it causes, you know, it, just the way you pray, the way you handle things, the way you don't get upset and everybody else does, and, you know, you may aggravate them a bit. Uh, but by doing that, you will also draw attention to what makes you distinct, what makes you different, and what leads to your happiness. That which is life indeed. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, all of us are tempted to um, want things we don't have and, and believe that they might possibly be the key to true happiness. Help us to understand, Lord, that you made us to enjoy things. You made us to uh, love pleasure and to be sensual people. And these are not bad things in and of themselves, but they are not the thing. They are the means to the thing. And we can use all of these wonderful things and, and we can enjoy this wonderful life that you've given uh, for the purpose of being encouraged and accomplishing your purpose in our life. That we would pursue righteousness, that we'd realize that we should be rich not in things but in good deeds and in service to others. That, that when we follow your values and when we engage in life, 
that you describe as significant, then amazingly, mysteriously, miraculously, we have what we most need, happiness and fulfillment in life. Lord, help everybody here realize that there is no one better positioned to do that than they are. And bless them to this end. We pray in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said,